Well, I have to tell you, I'm thrilled on just many levels to be here tonight. I'm thrilled to be back with you here to worship, and I'm thrilled for the reason that we're back here with you to worship. I was asked when Wade and Taylor were engaged, was I excited for the wedding? And I said, well, I'm a little, I don't know so much about the wedding, but I am ecstatic for the marriage. (laughs) So I am thrilled, I'm excited for the congregation here, that Wade's here among you, and that Wade and Taylor plan to be here. So uh, thank you for who you are and what you are now to him and to us. And it's amazing how much shorter the road between Oakdale and Bakersfield has gotten for the Branch family. For a little while this evening, I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Mark. I hope that you can see it well, and of what's going to be up here is primarily going to be the scriptures that we read and we consider in this subject. The question, am I fruitful? You know, this question comes up in my mind For a lot of reasons, but specifically, you'll see after we finish our reading from Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 3 through 9, and then verses 13 through 20. In Mark 4 and 3 says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up and it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We go on down to verse 13, and he said to them, as he tries to explain, he says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? How are you going to understand anything? The sower, he said, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Before I leave this slide, and because we're not going to spend a ton of time on this parable, I'm trusting, I'm talking to a Wednesday night crowd. This is not new for you. You've heard this. If you haven't, then we can talk about this maybe more later. You can study it in depth, but most of you, I believe, have read this. We recognize when he talks about this this seed that's been sown in the wayside that Satan immediately, and you've done it, you've talked to people, when the minute you talk to them, you think it's getting through, but it's like immediately, it's, it's gone. He said Satan takes that away. He says there are ones in stony ground, they hear it, they, they're happy to hear it, they seem glad about it. But they have no root, and so they don't stay for very long, and and they're gone. We've hardly gotten to know them, and they're not here anymore. He says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These people take it further. But life gets in the way. There's a tendency we can have, I might say, a little time out on myself already, to blame ourselves when other people 
get caught up in life and they don't hang on to it like they did at first. And we say, what did we do wrong? Jesus, as he talks to his disciples, says it could be the soil that was planted. We plant, we water, God gives the increase. He said sometimes it's, it's everything else, it's the noise around that take people away. Note to self, to the Wednesday night crowd, we're not immune from this either, are we? The noise around us can begin to take away the joy we have but these are the ones who are on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. In Luke's account, he says, Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now I threw this one in here because it's such a parallel teaching but I really like what he talks about the fruit. We're going to have to be patient. I'm not very patient. That's why I like to have some radishes in my garden. They don't take long. They remind me that it's going to be worth it, everything else we're doing for the beets and for the turnips and for the tomatoes. He says we have to understand that even when it's in good ground, they hear the word with a noble heart, you're, they're going to bear fruit too, but we're going to have to be patient to see that happen. Now, why did we even read through this? Because the question is, am I fruitful? And I read through this parable, and I'm not so much interested this evening in us breaking down this parable as I am interested in asking, okay, now having heard this parable, am I the one that's fruitful? And I want you to ask yourself, am I fruitful? Based on what we've just read. I want us as we come out here to see the urgency that's associated with being fruitful. It's not just kind of a question we ask ourselves and then we just say, well, yeah, I'll think about it more Sunday. I got things to do Thursday. For, we have a wedding. I need to understand this is an urgent question even amongst the, amidst the wedding. John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. If I understand what Jesus says, if you're my disciple, you're going to bear fruit. And if you don't, you're going to be like a branch that's no good and they just, they trim them, they wither and then they just burn them. If that's not enough to give us it, Romans chapter 6 verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In sin, you didn't have anything to do with righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. I don't know everybody's story here. I know a lot of you were raised in a home, brought to this building, and your whole life, essentially, you've been brought up in the Lord's church. And you obeyed the gospel. Some in this audience, though, I'm gather, I would gather, that's not your story. But you know one thing every one of us have in common in our story? 
no matter what our raising was like and whether or not we grew up listening to sermons like this or not, is we've got a dark place that there are things we hope nobody else finds out. And we hope that the people who do know are willing to forgive us. And we are so grateful that God is. Because we're ashamed of those things. There's no good fruit. There's no fruit in that. Not good fruit. The end of those things is death. That's why we're here. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. We don't have to look down that dark path. We can look to something that's wonderful. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift we're here. That's why we're on a Wednesday night. That's why you do what you do. That's why you live the way you live. But what about this fruit? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19 says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So here's the answer to the question. Am I fruitful? Yes, I am fruitful. But now I got another question. Is it good or is it bad? Because what I learned from the passages we just studied is everybody is fruitful. Everybody bears fruit. But some fruit isn't fit for eating. Some fruit is not fit for God. So my question becomes, what does it mean to bear good fruit? That's really the answer that I need tonight. Does it mean I have to convert somebody that's lost? Does it mean that it's how many people I baptized or led to, to have the preacher baptized? Or how many people that I helped restore? Or maybe it's children, because we know Proverbs 127 and verse 3 refers to children as the fruit of the womb. What does it mean to bear good fruit? I want to spend the rest of the time we have tonight to see what the Bible says, because i got to admit, when I started this sermon, it's, I didn't reach the conclusion that I thought I was going to. And you know what? I don't know about you when you study things in the Bible, when you sit down and people say, well, how do you come up with sermons? Generally, sermons come up for me just reading. But occasionally, it'll be a question that I want to find out what the Bible says. And I usually go in with a preconceived idea. Kind of think I know what I'm, where I'm coming, but I'm gonna, I hope I'll let the, the Word bring it out. Well, the Word let it in places that I didn't expect it to tonight. Because I want to know what else the Bible says about being fruitful. First of all, we're going to go to Romans chapter 15. For it pleased those from Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit... I shall go by way of you to Spain, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Did you realize that your contribution is a fruit? You know, we don't talk a lot about contribution, and if you're a visitor here tonight, or maybe you're uh, new to the church here, since I don't know everybody's face, don't remember exactly, maybe somebody's here, there's not going to be a contribution. That's not why I'm about to say this. There's no love offering that's going to happen tonight. In fact, I am confident that at this congregation, it's done one time, and it's most likely done with the morning service on Sundays, first day of the week, because that's the New Testament pattern for it. 
But as you prepare your heart and purpose and in your heart what you're going to do this next Lord's Day, I want you to consider the fact that your contribution is referred to in Scriptures as a fruit. Are you proud of your fruit? Do you consider yourself fruitful in that light? Now I want us to understand, for this fruit to be good, it has to be from cheerfulness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to do it grudgingly or out of necessity. He loves a cheerful giver. We also understand from that what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13 and 3. He says, you could give all your goods, to be, everything you have, to the poor. But it's with, if it's without love, it's worthless. You've become like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, just a noise, spiritually speaking. You know what we also understand from what Paul told the Corinthians in the second Corinthian letter? He says, I want you to consider what you give in light of what you get. I want you to consider this in light of God. I want you to be a cheerful giver. I don't want you to do it grudgingly or necessity. And I want you to trust me in this, that if you don't see, if you don't sow what's right, that God can abound to you. Now, I'm not going to preach a prosperity doctrine. That's not my point. But here's my point. Our contribution, what we give, and I'm guessing here, if you're a Wednesday night crowd, you're some of the main givers. First of all, I want you to know that's fruit. Because we can get really depressed about how many people we've converted, about somebody we're trying to get back to the church that's just not answering our calls anymore, that's even maybe asked us to stop reaching out. They just want to be left alone. And we can beat ourselves up over to that and think, I'm not fruitful. And what I want you to know is, if you give to the Lord, the Lord says that's fruit as long as it's cheerful and it's with love. What else does the Word say about fruit? We have an altar, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 10 says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Do you think it was an accident that Jesus was crucified outside the city? He had to fulfill the shadow of things from the old law. All those carcasses, everything that got carried out because it was to be outside the camp, Jesus took that upon himself. That shame. That's why he was outside the gate, the Hebrew writer says. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. We're going everywhere. We're not in this sterile environment with what we have. We're willing to follow him out there. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. We don't center our religion in Jerusalem or any other place anymore. It's not geographically bound. In fact, it is bound to Jesus Christ. We're seeking a city that hadn't come yet. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. When you sing praises tonight, according to Ephesians 5.19, I hope you presented to God a heart melody.
I love sitting around Rochelle when she sings. She's sick right now and she couldn't sing tonight. That's the exception, not the rule. I know Christians who the rule is they don't sing. God wants the fruit of your lips. You're like, oh, but I can't sing like this person or that person. That's the beauty of Ephesians chapter 5, 19. The melody is made in the heart to the Lord. You know, people that use this verse and they'll go to it and say, well, you know, that's the Greek word there, solo, and that's just to pluck as a stringed instrument. And that's their justification for, for using instrumental worship. If you go into that, that, what's plucked there? It's the heart. It's not the strings of an instrument. It's the strings of your heart. And praise God tonight that he didn't say we had to sing a melody out of our vocal cords because some, of, some people just can't do it. And all of us at one point or another because of some problem, whether it's laryngitis or sickness, couldn't do it. Thank God he doesn't say we have to be able to play a melody on a stringed instrument. There's a few in this audience that maybe can do that, but I can't. In fact, even if I thought I wanted it, God said that's what you have to do. How long would it take me to get to the point that I could play an instrument to make a melody? If I couldn't sing, but it was possible to somehow learn, how long would it take to learn to sing? How long does it take for you to learn Put your heart into something. The minute you're committed, your heart's in. It's engaged. God has asked us to present something, the fruit of our lips, from a pure and sincere heart that the minute a person believes, they're able to accomplish. Any other interpretation on that that somebody wants to put on the theological world makes it impossible for somebody to immediately, upon their conversion, be able to fulfill it's a wonderful thing. I don't have to be able to carry a tone. I don't have to be able to read music. I can immediately begin to sing or give praises to God, and he can accept it. The fruit of your lips, your praise to God is fruit. Are you fruitful? If it's your habit that you don't sing, that you don't speak up with your voice to God, I hope it will become that habit. That's fruit. That God wants from you. Galatians chapter 5.22. You had to know we were going to get here eventually. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We like those first three. At least I do. Even if joy, you know, I don't know, that's that giddy thing. It's really a calm assurance piece, it seems, when you really look through it. But when we get to long-suffering... Do you realize if you're going through something and you're wondering if it's really worth it, you hanging on when it, you're suffering is fruit? Are you fruitful? We've all gone through times we've suffered. We've all gone through times we wondered if it, what's worth it. When we hang on and we suffer long, that's fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. Being kind to people. Goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, we could spend just a week talking about all those if we wanted to break them down, and yet you can sit there and read them, and it's just as plain as this, the hand in front of your face. This is fruit. 
when we have love, joy, peace, when we're willing to suffer long, when we'll be kind to people, when we'll be good, we'll be faithful. Faithful from God's perspective, not just that we're doing things we think are good, but that we're looking to the Word of God and we're faithful to it and we're gentle and we'll have self-control. Against such there is no law. Nothing is against this. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're going to turn away from sin and turn to the fruit of the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then he continues in chapter 6. Remember, this is just a letter, chapters and verses, and I want to keep going to see where this leads. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of gentleness. This gentleness he's talking about here, he says, that applies to how we restore people that have sinned. Be careful with the way we truth. Considering yourself, lest you're also tempted. Now, for some of us, maybe it'd be better if we said, considering how we'd want our kids treated. He says, think about you. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What is it that causes people to not treat people with this kind of love and gentleness? I infer from the reading, it's because he thinks a lot of himself. And he's like, well, I never would have done that. How could you do that? If we consider ourselves and we think, you know what, maybe I wouldn't have done that, but I've done something just as bad. I've done things like it. Does that change the way that I want to react? He seems to have that tied together. That when we get to where we have no patience with other people, it's because we think so much of ourselves. And he says, that's not a good point. What is he going to say? But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he will also reap. Are you fruitful? Yes. Is it good or bad? He says it depends on what you sow. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I want you to know it's never a mistake to put the church and spiritual things as a priority. As parents, you go through all those decisions with your kids. Well, I know, should we do this? Should we do that? We'll never make a mistake when we put spiritual things as a priority. When we're in our work, we think, well, I know I'm committed to the church, but you know, with my work or with my job or with this client, never be a mistake when you put spiritual things your priority. When we sow to the flesh, we'll have the flesh root corruption. When we sow to the Spirit, we will have the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Don't get tired of showing up on Wednesday night. Don't get tired of being the one that answers the call for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You keep doing it. As long as you can do it until you're that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so that somebody's needing to call for help or get help too. He says, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Am I fruitful? What am I willing to do? Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Keep doing as good. That's talking fruit. What else does he say? In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. 
Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Am I fruitful? Do I care what is good, right, and truthful according to what's acceptable to the Lord? That's fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we wonder if it's worth it to keep trying to strive to know what truth is and to hold the doctrine in its purity. And I want to tell you, it is as important now as it has ever been as it was the day it was penned. It's just as relevant today as the day that this was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And may we never, ever doubt that. What is acceptable to the Lord is fruit of the Spirit. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Some things you can't even talk about. He said, stay away from that. Don't have any fellowship with that. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Why do we have to stay and worry about what's acceptable to God? Because that's where the light is. That's where hope is. That's where everything is. Nobody desires to stay in darkness. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, this wasn't written in the year 2020. These days have always been this way. Today, we have to hold to this. This is bringing fruitful. Back to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13. He says, he also spoke this parable. We started with the parable, we're going to end with the parable. He spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for these three years, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. This is quite, a, this, this parable to me is just one of those that I love it and it scares me to death. How do we know when we're in that last year? Am I fruitful? Someone says, Greg, you didn't even talk at all in this about how many people were baptized or how many people were converted or how many people were restored. You know why? Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I need to stop feeling the pressure of everybody else's reaction. And I need to start feeling the pressure of what I'm going to do with the truth. 
whether I'm going to sing praise to God with my lips, whether I'm going to live the life that is, just screams Jesus to the world around us. If nothing else, we might be able to be like that wife that Peter talked about, who says that had the unbelieving husband, that he says, by your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, you may without a word win him over. Now, if that works in a marriage with an unbelieving husband and a believing wife, why can't it work in any relationship? You keep standing up. Wherever you're at, wherever you live, whatever you do, you keep doing what's right. Follow this pattern. You keep showing up. People know when you come to church. They know what's your, where your priority is. And don't fall prey to that old trick that somehow, well, you know, I could go to services, but I'm really trying to encourage so-and-so to come back. Maybe if I go do this with them, then later on they'll be more encouraged to come to church. I've never seen it work. The only thing I've seen it do is draw good people that you can rely on to help build the church up further away from the body. You stand for what's right. You stand for what's true. If nothing else, you don't know if this is the last year or not. Take advantage. God planted us. God allows us to dig around us and fertilize us when we need to grow, and God waits patiently one last season. I don't know if this is our last year tonight, but I ask you, what would you do if you knew this was your last year? We're starting a new one. What if somehow you just knew, whether it's miraculous that God could tell you or whether it's the doctors that said, look, here's what it is, and we know nobody's lived more than a year with what you've got. What would change? Maybe you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the gospel. Mark 16 and 16, Jesus said you need to believe in him. Do you believe? God, most likely you do believe unless somebody just made you come tonight. Have you repented? What is repentance? Literally, if I understand this Greek word, it means to think differently. Change the way you look at things. From man's perspective to the way God would have us. And what that means is going to be a turnaround. From self-will to what God's will is. And all the things that people talk about and what it takes to be a Christian, whether it's work or whether faith and works and all that, repentance to me is, it's the toughest. You're changing the way, you're changing everything. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish. In the book of Acts, he says, there was a time God winked in ignorance, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He also wants us to confess, Romans 10 and 10. Are we willing to confess Christ from this day forward? And he wants us to be baptized. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, it says, many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Tonight, if you haven't put Christ on, if you think you put him on but you haven't been baptized, it's time to put him on. Come tonight. According to Ephesians 4 and 5, there's only one baptism. Therefore, it has to be what we can read in the Scriptures. And we know the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 came to a certain water, said, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? He said, if you believe, you may. And they got down out of the chariot, both Philip and the eunuch. They went down into the water and he baptized him. He immersed him. He dipped him. According to Romans chapter 6, he buried him in that water. That's what we'll do tonight. If you are a Christian, perhaps you've fallen away. Maybe you realize that, you know what, you're not fruitful. And if this was the last year... You don't think that it would be a good one. 
Beauty is you got a chance to change that. Now look, as a Christian, as a kingdom of priests, you can pray to God and he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But James 5.16 says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I trust there's righteous people here to pray with you and for you. And maybe you're like Simon in Acts chapter 8 that says, you know, would you pray these things don't happen to me? And you'd like the prayers of the church. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.